And when she gets back in her car, did you notice she didn't look in the back seat? Of course she didn't. Amateur hour. I was like, lady, really? Especially every with a mental patient. time. Every time. And I'm like, I don't know what most girls, I feel like even now, I still look at the I back look seat. My, every single time. And my car has the do-do-do-do thing, yep. and I'm still looking in the back seat of my car, you yep. know? So I'm like, lady, lady. 100%. Every single time I get in the car, I'm no. like looking in the back seat because no. uh, I've read my urban legends. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where two unlikely gorehounds delve into our horror movie notebook from college in which we meticulously kept track of every film we watched in the horror movie section of our local video store in our quest to learn how to survive and to ensure we end up as As the the final final girl. girl join julia and marion as we revisit the classic and obscure horror vhs we viewed and logged in our notebook breaking each movie down one by one speaking out over all the ghastly minutiae and ultimately illuminating the path to survival. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. We are the first podcast from Indie Popcorn recording here at the Circus. I'm Julia. I'm Marion. This is episode 38. Mm-hmm. We will be talking about 1983's Nightmares. Yeah, which is in the last of our uh, horror movie anthology series we've been doing. And the title of this episode is I Am the Bishop of Battle. I Am the Bishop of Battle. It doesn't sound like that, but I'm just saying no, like that. No, that's about as good as we're going to get for that. Correct. Uh, the tagline for this film, I kind of like this tagline. It's kind of... Pessimistic, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Each summer, one film opens that you've never heard of and one that you'll never forget. Oh, okay. I I'm like, like that. They're acknowledging the fact that nobody's going to hear of this film, but right. we're going to spin it in a, in a positive fashion. <laughs> that makes it work for us. I like it. Uh, that, that's, that's pretty funny. So this film uh, was originally, uh, they were shot for a TV series called Dark Room, hmm. which ran in the early 80s, uh, but then they decided that the, the stories were so kind of Intense oh, okay. that they were going to make it into a film instead. Too much for television. Too much for television. Okay. Uh, well, in 1983, too much for television. <laughs> right. Now anything now goes. Just barely scraping by. Uh, this was directed by Joseph Sargent. Oh, okay. His first uh, directing credit is in 1959. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He directed the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. No way. Yeah. That's very it's funny. A great film. That's um, really and interesting. also Jaws: The Revenge. Oh really? Which is number four. Which is the one with Lance Guest. That's <laughs> got it. It all comes back it around. It all comes back around. Um, yeah, this one is broken up into a series of four stories. Four chapters. Four chapters, if you will. Uh, so chapter one is called Terror in Topanga, uh, which is 100% shot in Topanga Canyon. They let you know. Yeah. Hey, we're in Topanga. Guys, guess where we are? N- nine Topanga signs. Topanga, Topanga all over the place. Topanga Canyon. Um, and so the opening of this, uh, well, I sort of enjoy the story in the sense that, you know, those um, scary stories to tell in the dark mm-hmm. series that like we were all obsessed with? Uh and I definitely read. The funny thing is, is I read so much more horror than I than I saw. I mean, I saw nothing. But it's like I would read a lot of these scary stories. So sort of scary things were in the back of my brain. And so you're always like somewhere you wanted to be a horror fan. Yeah. You just couldn't really get to that yeah. point. Yeah, I was just so like, what is me. this movie thing you guys are all talking about? Uh, so, you know, and there's also these sort of these very famous like old wives tales about like, you know, the babysitter. The and urban legends. Exactly. Um, and uh, one of them is definitely about the escaped lunatic that's like out in the neighborhood and you got to be careful and all this kind of stuff. So in this case is uh, William Henry Glazer. Right. Uh, the canyon, go the canyon slayer. Killer. Yeah, he's the canyon slayer. So the beginning of this movie is a, a cop sort of uh, pulling over a pretty young thing to have her, her taillight be fixed. And off she goes. And then out of nowhere in the Topanga Woods comes the killer. And he, the stabbing of this police officer is pretty violent. Mm-hmm. And I really like your opening gambit just so you know where this movie can go. It's like first two minutes, like anything's possible. Um, and when the cop dies, he like slides down the antenna 
which is very bloody, which is kind of, and then it kind of whips itself back and forth, like spraying blood everywhere. Um, and so it's just to let you know kind of how bad this bad guy really is. And then it cuts to our young family um, who, um, you know, the sort of like the, there's the wife and the husband and putting the kids to bed and stuff. They're like. watching Frankenstein. Right. Um, but it's, you know, uh, and they've heard the reports about the crazy man outside. Uh, but the wife's like, yes, I'm going to go grocery shopping right now. It's uh, 11 p.m., but 11 I need cigarettes. God but damn she it. really wants cigarettes. And he's like, no, no, there's a crazy person out. You're not going. She's like, mm, okay. And then she totally sneaks out and goes. Um, and again, uh, it should seem fundamental, but horror movie survival guide tip, if there's an escaped lunatic mental patient out on the lam, do not... It is not business as usual. Like, do not go out and get your errands, you know, go get your cigarettes. Like, all that is done yep. until he is captured. Mm-hmm. Like, you're done. Your life is going to stop. That, that's the deal. Um, and, but but she, a non-addict wouldn't understand. I know, I know. So she goes out uh, to get them. And there's a sort of like a, she kind of meets a couple of creepy dudes on the way. Like, there's a guy at the store who's like, I've got a gun. I'm ready for him. And, you know, and she's kind of like, mm. and then she gets back in her car. And when she gets back in her car, did you notice she didn't look in the back seat? Of course she didn't. Amateur hour. I was like, lady, really? Especially Every with a mental patient. time. Every time. And I'm like, I don't know what most girls, I feel like even now, I still look at the I back look seat. My, every single time. And my car has the do-do-do-do thing, yep. and I'm still looking in the back seat of my car, you yep. know? So I'm like, lady, lady. 100% every single time I get in the car, I'm no. like looking in the back seat. Because no. uh, I've, I've read my urban legends. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this lady has not and thinks she's impervious to it. So she tries to drive home to discover that she almost has no gas in her car as well. So I'm like, just asking for death, just asking for it. So there's all these gas stations that are closed, which I found kind of strange. And yet I know was obviously very common, but we live so much in this like 24 seven world that I'm like, really all those gas? Cause now if I see a gas station that's closed, I'm shocked. I'm like, there's one on Melrose and Vine that was closed all the time that I was like, why oh, are really? you a gas station? I don't understand. It's like you, it's like five 30 PM and they're closed. Yeah. I'm like what? Cause they're running guns. out Yeah, the back. exactly. <laughs> like, um, so uh, so she finally finds a gas station, a sort of a strange gas station uh, that is open, um, and she pulls up to it, and this, you know, seems like no one's around, but then this guy comes around the corner, who is, what's his name from Blade Runner? William Sanderson. William Sanderson. plays J.F. Sebastian yes. in Blade Runner. He's such a, a sweet little face, but like, he's got that face that can go either way. Exactly. He's either like super sweet or super creepy, you can't really tell. Exactly. Which and is a, a cool a cool niche to fill in It's film. very cool, yeah. And I, I think also if you're, you know, if you're in a story called Terror in Topanga, and that guy comes around the corner, you're like, don't know. So she asks for $5 in gas, and like, lowers her window just a crack and slides the money over to him. And she has locked her doors. We mm-hmm. should, we've seen that. She's no, locked the doors. Correct. And then all of a sudden, he's just sort of like, he's behaving very sort of stiffly with her. And then all of a sudden, he... Well, they reveal that he didn't actually pump the gas. Yes, exactly. That he mimed pumping the gas, mm-hmm. but it actually went over to her window. Right. And she, he smashes it. He smashes, smashes the it window the- and grabs her and pulls her out of it. And she goes crazy. Uh, and he starts dragging her around to the side and, go, and you know goes crazy and crazy. Um, and then finally, uh, she kind of breaks free of him. And he whips out a gun and shoots the true killer uh, who was in the backseat of her car? Yes. yes. Who's in the backseat of Played her car. Played by Lee Ving, who is lead singer of the band Fear. Oh, really? Yeah. He's Mr. Body in Clue. I didn't know that either. Mm-hmm. Ah, fun facts. Um, so, yeah. So, it's meant to be. And then she kind of realizes, like, oh, he smashed the window to save my life. Yes. Um, and it's that kind of thing. It reminded me a lot of, you know, that other 
um, urban legend about the truck that follows the woman and he always flashes his high beams yep. and he was doing it every time the killer came out to mm-hmm. attack and yeah it feels is, very much that story this is why girls our age look in the backseat every fucking time because time. like every girl should like I don't then, know old young do you do I don't care if you care. look in the backseat and there is somebody back there you just back go don't away. get in the car don't get the car <laughs> like you know it's like well I enjoyed that car never seen it again you know I just walk away from it you forever just walk away call the police like you know do whatever but that's why you look um, yes. so this is a, pr- a pretty uh, wrapped up tight in a little bundle kind of story I will say I wish they, they had this like itty, itty bitty little epilogue at the end where she goes back to see her husband and they have a big hug and all that kind of stuff and I don't think the story needed that like I think well she it, threw away her cigarettes yeah that I was know the, like, but also she, now no, she's quitting lesson learned I know but like nobody cares I think would have been better is if like she had the moment of realization and then it just went into the next story because like that's all you really need yeah. like you don't need to really wrap it up but they do. Um, and so then we go into the next one. So the we exciting have, one. Yeah, the exciting one. The one that, if, if you've seen Nightmares, this is the story you probably remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter two called The Bishop of Battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is in Emilio Estevez yeah. as our main man. Uh, this was shot between The Outsiders and Repo Man, if you could imagine that. So okay, I can. So this s- is just post Outsiders. Yes. Got it. But I can see that he's kind of leaning in that punk direction because yeah. this character listens to a lot of punk on yeah. his on his uh, Walkman. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's listening to Fear. Makes sense since Leaving was in the previous oh, one. Oh, I totally did not get that. Uh, okay. Black Flag, mm. everybody's favorite, and a Negative Trend are the names of the bands that huh. he's listening to. Interesting. Pretty pretty hard rocking. They are. Uh, we see him and his little buddy. Uh, getting off of a bus mm-hmm. in downtown Los Angeles and his little friend looks v- around very nervously says I don't know about this we're a long way from the valley <laughs> yeah uh, the downtown LA valley yeah divide. in the 1980s mm-hmm. uh-huh. it's very valley girl they made a whole movie about that didn't they they did indeed uh, so they're going down to the arcade they don't normally go down to in downtown LA mm-hmm. Uh, to hustle. To hustle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so JJ, JJ Cooney is the name of Emilio uh-huh. Estevez's character. And he's like a video game hustler, right? Yes. Yeah. So he's really, really excellent. But he does the, you know, you play a couple games first and you pretend you don't play very well. Right. And then. But you're a Valley kid, so you have money. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so the, the, he's playing with some, uh, some like cholo dudes some like yeah. mexican game we have like the looking. hairnets and the whole thing yeah, yeah they're really going but it, again it also seemed like you know I, i'm not gonna pretend i know a great deal about the world of hustling but i will <laughs> say that i feel like if you're sort of hustling people who the instant they find out are not just gonna let you take the money they're gonna murder you and i feel like he's hustling these like really tough characters that i'm you're just sort of like emilio like you're gonna they're going to come for you, you know? Yeah, probably don't pick the, like, hard-looking Mexican like dude. Like, the toughest guys in the place, yeah. you know? Um, so the bets kind of increase more and more as they're sort of going back and forth. And so in the end, it becomes, what? $25. $25. Um, but the, 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 so the guys don't ever get it. It takes a little kid to come over and tell them. Yeah, uh, uh, that guy's really good. Says, I, don't, I remember now that dude's name is J.J. Cooney, and he's the best man, the best who ever was. You guys are getting hustled. Yeah. And then they're like, they realize they are. And then that's part, I think it's part of it as well, that they didn't realize they were getting hustled until that point. And it took a kid to point it out. And Got now it. they're even more upset. Exactly. But yeah. he's an excellent arcade game master. Yeah. So he scores higher than the guy he was uh, competing against. And then he's like, hey. And they, it's the kind of thing where, you know, that's like the video arcade uh, etiquette where the money goes on the the uh, the sort of what do you call it? Uh, it's kind of like the platform, dashboard? A little, yeah, like the video game console <laughs> dashboard, whatever. Console, that's a better word. Um, so there's a bunch of money on top. So he wins. He grabs the money and turns to go, and they're like, 
I don't think so. And luckily, there happens to be a cop nearby, which is the only reason he doesn't get the massive ass kicking. Uh, and he, he kind of deserves. That he totally deserves. And is asking for Because I'm like, you don't hustle people who are going to murder you. Yeah, like, you it, well, it's hard, though, because like, you want to pick someone who looks like they have money. Yeah. You don't want to go to just like another kid because you're not going to have anything. So it has to be somebody who looks a little grown up. Right. But you just find rich and dumb. Like, yeah. I just, that can't be that hard. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, that's the whole hustling thing is that, you know, you hustle to it's, it's sort of like we were talking about with a couple episodes back about the, you know, don't commit adultery against someone whose husband is a psychopath. Like, just, you know, it won't work out. Don't grift somebody who's going to kick your ass. Well, I think that's part of the key to being a good grifter is picking your mark. And if you pick someone, you have to pick someone who's not going to repercussions. And he's a teenager, so fair play. But just for all you guys out there, if you're going to hustle someone, don't do it to people who are going to murder you. I hope there's a lot of hustlers listening to us. I know. (laughs) Hey guys, hey hustlers. If you are, please tweet us hustlers because (laughs) it's a whole different demographic for us. (laughs) Um, So yeah, basically there happens to be a cop nearby, which is the only reason they're not murdered. And so they get on a bus and hightail it back to the valley. Where Uh, he immediately has to go to the arcade to play more games because he has not had enough. Exactly. his, His friend... His, and Amelia was just being a dick, just yeah. being a dick to him. And he's just mm-hmm. like, hey, you want to play? come watch me play some games? Watch, watch me play some games? No? Fuck off. Yeah. Like, just like, turns, like, throws his money on the ground, like, see you later. Bye. Um, but his favorite, but the kid wants his cut before he goes to, yeah. which I enjoy. Um, but uh, his favorite game at this arcade is the Bishop of Battle, um, which is a made-up game, right? It is a made-up game, okay. yes. Uh, his, he's got a little uh, saying. So it's like a, it's like the very, it's, this film, uh, this sequence is known because it's very early computer graphics. Um, so this oh, all is, the Bishop of Battle stuff? Yeah, got so it. it's like that kind of early, really early computer graphic where it's just like a, the frame of someone's face. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And he says, Greetings, Earthling. I am the Bishop of Battle, master of all I survey. I have 13 progressively harder levels. Try me if you dare. So JJ is obsessed with getting to the 13th level. Mm-hmm. No one's getting to the 13th level, but he's so good that he thinks he can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's in this obsession with yeah. trying to figure out how to how to win this game. And it's great because like the, this sequence of nightmares does a really good job of sort of you know obviously every character is dealing with like we talked about some sort of like sin or vice or whatever, and his is clearly the throes of video game addiction mm-hmm. like the kid is addicted as if it were any drug or you know anything and like, they keep saying he's not acting normal yeah. and he's very rational and he's very annoyed yeah. and, he's... and my favorite uh, I think uh, there's a girl in this who we looked up later we think I think is Moon Unit Zappa mm-hmm. uh, plays a character in this and she has this line which is my favorite line only because it's super obvious um, where she says come on JJ let's go get a pizza we'll sit and talk like we used to. Um, and it's just to show you the screenwriters, like how JJ has changed. Mm-hmm. And he isn't like now he's so obsessed with the Bishop of Battle that perhaps that's why he's doing sort of unwise grifting because he just, he wants the money because he needs more money to more quarters to play the Bishop of Battle because he's got to get to that 13th level. Right, and, but he can't grift anybody at his home arcade anymore right. because they all know his deal. So exactly. now he's got to go further afield. Right. Uh, can I just say that this uh, arcade that he goes to in the mall in the valley, wherever they are, mm-hmm. uh, Game-O-Rama, mm-hmm has the carpet and uh, paint scheme of my dreams. I didn't even notice it, You really? didn't even notice because I was not at really all. excited. That's so um, funny. So uh, my favorite colors are brown and orange and yellow. Right. And they had uh, this brown carpet with yellow and orange stripes going down the stairs and uh-huh. like up the wall and all around. That's all I was looking at in the really? arcade sequences. <laughs> That's <laughs> so like, I want to live in this arcade. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so basically he's playing until the place closes and everyone else is leaving and he's like, come on, one more game, one more game. And the, the guy who runs the arcade has to physically like remove Throw him, him 
him out, yeah. from the game and then he starts to get real angry about yeah. it and, and then like, he goes home and it's like it definitely I don't know if there's meant to be some sort of intentional parallels with sort of like kids on steroids because he goes home and sort of has this conversation with his parents and it's like roid rage like he's insane where he's like come on you never let me do this and you're like your grades are slipping son you need to kind of get your act together and they're like, he's like oh my god you guys suck so bad and he just screams at his parents like Basically, let me just play video games my whole life. Forget school. Forget everything else. Like all I have to do is be the thirteenth level, and I'll be back to normal. Exactly. And, and they keep saying like we've heard it before. Yeah. We're... Which again is like all the sort of tropes of addiction. Yeah. Like, just I just need one more fix. One more. Fi- It'll be my last one. My last one. Never it's is. Always, always the last one. Yeah. So he re- sla- goes into his room and slams the door and escapes uh, via an incredibly convenient drain pipe mm-hmm. um, outside his bedroom. Um, and How are you going to go back up, though? He's going to shimmy up that drain pipe? I think so. That's Yeah, I think it's a two-way shimmy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're a two-way shimmy. <laughs> Your mom's a two-way shimmy. <laughs> um, whew, professional. Um, so, yes, so he <laughs> break, breaks into the arcade and plugs in the Bishop of Battle and has this stack full of quarters and just keeps going for it. And he comes back up. The Bishop of Battle comes up and his, his face is all up in his face. Yeah. Um, and the POV changes, right? Because it's in the beginning. There's so much like crazy Emilio Estevez eyes, video game Emilio Estevez eyes, you know. And the punk the, music. Yeah. And the movie does a good job of sort of, you know, that stress that you have when you've gotten really far in a video game. And you're like, at any point, like I could die and I'll have to start all over and like the stress of that I think the movie does very well yeah and it's kind of an unusual thing now because pretty much everyone plays their games at home where you can kind of start over as many times as you want but you forget like you had to pay a quarter every time and you only had so far to go and at some and that at some point if you died you would have to start Start. from the beginning Mm -hmm. and the crushing crushness of that you know so they're really going for the for the computer graphics here for the arcade game and he keeps getting to the 12th level and Mm -hmm. finally Gets to the thirteenth mm-hmm. level, in which the entire arcade game Splode. just implodes, yeah. just kind of collapses mm-hmm. uh, onto itself, and we realize the thirteenth game is real life. Exactly, yeah. And so basically, all the things that we had seen in the game when he would play it, like sort of the face and these various ships and all these kind of stuff, and there's like a little um, silhouette of a man, and all these kind of things start kind of springing to life, and he had the sort of gun thing that was on the controller that's still in his hand from when it exploded and he picks it up and when he shoots it like real lasers come out but not only do they shoot the bishop of battle creatures that are now out in the real world but if he misses it explodes the arcade game around him so like he's just blowing up like pinball machines and other arcade games and doing like rolling dives and all this kind of stuff that you kind of recognize for a kid like him is kind of the dream like yeah. scary but also like yeah I get to live in a video game in real life sure well Amazing. you know and there's a lot of movies with this kind of premise you have like your last star, Starfighter kind of stuff mm-hmm. and Ready Player One which is coming out now where you're kind of yeah. like you, now you're in the game yeah. and you're really fighting for stakes and exactly yeah I guess that's just a lot of fan that's a that's a big fantasy for a lot of uh, these kids not a fantasy I've ever had but hey yeah to each their own. Each um, so, yeah, he basically destroys the arcade of and escapes out of, uh, seems to think he's won and escapes out to a parking lot nearby and is sort of but, running up the ramp. Uh, can I just say, yeah. uh, horror movie survivor guy tip here. Yeah. He drops his gun. Unbelievable. It's like uh, Laurie with the knife in Halloween. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing? Amateur hour. Um, yeah. Always keep the Always, gun. Yeah. It's never, the big bad is never. Especially gone. if it's like the one gun from the game. <laughs> that's it. There's just that one. Yeah. You're Don't not going to find it. another one. You're not going to find like a different ready-made weapon. Like, and that's you it. would want to keep it as like a souvenir anyway. I would think so. Yeah, good point. Yeah, no, but he doesn't do that. So all of a sudden, he runs up this ramp, 
and the sort of green computer graphic face that you were talking about earlier is there. And the voice, by the way, mm-hmm. of that is a guy named James Tolkien, who was Principal Strickland in Back to the Future. If you can picture that guy. Oh, yeah. The bald he's guy. the one who says, I'm, a bi- I'm the Bishop of Battle. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he's there and says, you know, I'm the Bishop of Battle and... Uh, Master of all I survey. Master of that whole thing. Um, and, I mean, he's sort of vanquishes him in a kind of like he just sort of approaches him more and more and then his body kind of and he's sort of like crouching in terror and his body kind of like lights up and disappears and meanwhile JJ's friend has called his parents to be like oh he seemed pretty crazy today like and I had a nightmare about him yeah and can I can I talk to him and uh, the parents discovered that JJ is gone and they're now with this little kid the next morning going back to the arcade which is just opened and they discover that it's in ruins um, and they're like what what's going on but the Bishop of Battle game has totally put itself back together um, and in uh, putting itself back together, the kid kind of looks over at it, and it's on, and everything else is still off, and he sees the little man figurine that was sort of like what represented the player one in the game is now in the shape of J.J., and he's like, no, it got him, the game got him. J.J.'s in the game. J.J.'s in the game, um, which kind of reminded me a little bit of an uh, episode we did where we talk about Pumpkinhead and about how Lance Henriksen becomes the creature. Right. Yeah, it was sort of like that, where he kind of becomes like you, you know, you're so obsessed with it, you now are it. You want it to only be in the game, and now you are. Be careful what you wish for every story ever. Yeah. Um, now you are the game. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so that's how it ends for poor Emilio. Wah, wah. Yeah. And we are on to chapter three, The Benediction, mm-hmm. starring Lance Hendrickson. Speak of the devil. As a priest. Mm-hmm. But not a devil. No, he's a priest. He is a priest. We get uh, to hear him give a mass in Latin. Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, super, super Catholic priest. Um, and, uh, this story, I will say, I think, I think I might've enjoyed it the most of all of them, but it is an odd little tale and it is constructed in a really weird way where in the beginning, um, it it jumps all over the place. Like the beginning of it is he has this, that crazy dream with like a deer and a snake and he throws the snake and he like hoses the snake to death and then throws it and then he kind of wakes up and he's presiding over a funeral and well, then, like, you know what I mean? It kind of, like, you, you kind of piece together what the deal is, and it's about sort of a crisis of faith, but... Sure, but I think it's interesting, because I think that the dream is, like, it's a very metaphorical dream. Uh-huh. You know, like, the deer represents innocence, and then the snake comes in and, like, ruins it. Yeah. And then the entire story is actually just a big metaphor as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. I was like, okay. but it's But it's done in kind of, a, it doesn't sort of tell that story linearly at all. Like, it, it kind of j- it jumps around between, like, his dream and a flashback and then current and then a different conversation and then him packing yeah. to go. And mm-hmm. the, you know, like you're all like, he's in the priest outfit, he's out of the priest outfit, you know? So it's kind of edited together a bit strangely until he gets to his sort of road trip part of it. But basically um, a child uh, has died and uh, he's having trouble with it because when they first discover the, the child is mortally wounded, uh, he kind of has this instinct to get help for him, like physical help. And this fellow priests are more worried about the child's soul and doing less rites. And Lance is like, what are you talking about? If you save them, call an ambulance. And he's like, he's already gone. Exactly. Yeah. And he can't, and he's not okay with that. Like he, to have sort of like a world where such things happen, like he can't, you know, uh, rectify that with himself. And so, uh, so he has these various conversations, which we see in, fits and spurts with the bishop and they talk about the faith and the nature of faith and all this kind of stuff. And And he's saying he thinks that there's more evil than good in the world and he doesn't understand how he can support a god like that. Yeah. He's trying to give the eulogy at the kid's funeral and just like freezes up and can't do it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so he's decided he's he's had enough. Road trip. 
it's time for a priest road trip. Priest road trip, uh, sans collar. And so, uh, yeah, so he basically, and his friend's trying to, you know, convince him not to. So he goes, but his friend, who was trying to convince him not to, had a little container of holy water on him, like a thermos of it. And he takes it, uh, and his friend's like, well, that's holy water, what are you doing? He's like, it's just tap water. Because, like, I don't believe anymore. Yeah, um, I'm going to so, get thirsty on the way. Yep. Give me some water. So he goes across the desert. Um, and as he does, he starts seeing a few times this mysterious black truck with, like, blacked out windows. And he can't see the driver that sort of drives a little too close or drives behind him. And that seems kind of disconcerting. Um, and then as the story goes on, um, the truck is basically trying to kill him. And it runs him off the road, you know, like, her, like they, I don't think it gives him a flat tire. Or no, yes, it does, it does and he changes him. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it knocks his bumper off, and he has a bumper sticker on there that says, Faith Restores Peace. Mm, okay. And it knocks that off. Yeah. Can't uh, have that on there. Metaphor. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I will say, like, as the sort of um, interactions with the truck become more and more aggressive... It, this movie like turned into duel all of a sudden. Yeah, like, it's like it got, road terror. It is, and there's like some incredible stunt driving mm-hmm. in the sequence where, um, you know, my favorite is that you know there's one where the uh, truck he kind of and there's these long desert roads that sort of kind of have like you know where they go up and they go down and they have like these hills and valleys and so you can't necessarily like he, there's one scene where he's driving up the top of a hill and he doesn't know if the truck's going to be on the other side and then there's another one after he fixes the uh, the tire and he's about to get back in the car and he sees the truck coming again and he's like no, no, no what do you want what's going on and the truck he has to dive over his car because the truck almost runs him over and it turns around it comes back and where we see it has an upside down cross yeah. as a rearview mirror yeah. ornament and then it like runs him off the road again and he gets out of the car and then he's driving for a long time and then all of a sudden this thing was crazy the truck explodes out of the ground in an amazing sequence where, like, I think they buried the car or partially buried it or something because it literally, like, in the same shot with Lance Hendrickson, it's like, yeah, air it's really in the car. Awesome. Like, amazing. Um, and they basically just kind of battle it out. And again, it's amazing because there's nobody to call, no police. You're totally by yourself. You just have to get yourself out of it. So the car slams into his, uh, the truck slams into his car and flips it. And he drags himself out and he's got the holy water and the truck is just like turns around and goes gunning for him. Um, and he's like screaming at it. And then like in a last, I guess, best effort just to beat it, like chucks the holy water at the truck. Which makes it turn negative and disappear. Mm-hmm. All you need is some holy water. That's it. How's that for your metaphor? There you go. Um, you just need faith. Yes. That's all you do. So that's the moment we, he believed. Yes. And we have this, it cuts back to a conversation he has with the bishop and he says, you know, well, nobody ever gets a real sign. That's something that everybody wants that nobody ever gets. And yeah. here he is. He realizes he's had a real sign. Yeah. Uh-huh. So why don't you take me back to my parish? Yeah, exactly. And of course, like the cops, there's sort of the epilogue of the stories that the cops don't believe him. They don't, um, we so haven't, they, they don't see any other tire tracks. And right. So they don't, they said, there's no other car, but mm-hmm. there was. There was. Yeah. It reminds me of that sort of that, uh, that Shatner or something's on the plane mm-hmm. Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. It's a little bit like that where he has this sort of look in his eye. I'm like, no, it happened. It happened. Did it happen? It happened. Was I dreaming that? And like, I always kind of love those. Like, did it, didn't it? You know? Well, I, I like to think of Satan as a giant black monster truck. 
That's kind of mm-hmm. an interesting incarnation. Yeah. And what, who do you picture driving? Is I it know. just driving itself? But I love that you don't see who is driving it. Yes. You know what I mean? Because they could have really easily been like demon truck driver or whatever. And yes. it would have been terrible, you know. But the fact that everything's blacked out and you can't. And there's just the upside down cross. Like, we got it. Yeah. Done. We know who's driving this truck. Yeah. Um, but the action sequences in this thing are really gripping and really well done. Lance Henderson does this amazing face plant when he first pulls himself out of the car. Like, once the truck's mm-hmm. been vanquished and... Um, it's great. Like he really, that he goes for it. And, um, I think he does a really good job and I really like this story. Yeah. I would never have thought to have cast him as a priest, but he pulls it off. No. Yeah. So it's a good one. Um, so this comes to our very last one called night of the rat. Why um, do you say it like that? The rat in this story is dubious at best. <laughs> and that is being kind. That is being very, very kind. There are, I mean, you know, I try and be a nice person, but there are some special effect fails. There are some successes that we have talked about on this podcast, and there have been a couple of fails, and I will say the rat at the end of this movie is a, in my estimation, a spectacular special effects fail. Okay. Um, But before we get to that... Before we get to the fail, let's get to the win. Um, So we see a really cute orange cat in the beginning of this movie, which made me really excited until I realized what kind of movie I was watching, and then I realized that cat's not long for this world. No. Yeah. Uh, so we have a, uh, a Superman family, mm-hmm. uh, Veronica Cartwright and uh, Victoria Cartwright? Veronica. Uh, Veronica. Mm-hmm. Veronica. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Masher and their adorable little daughter. Yeah. Uh, who they are, she's been hearing some some scratching in the walls, mm-hmm. thinks that perhaps they have some rats. Right. Um, and he is the worst husband, yeah. just doesn't care doesn't want her my to, way everything yeah. is my way we don't want to spend money because we want that pool right so i guess i'm going to care take care of all this myself yeah and also make a really big deal out of it just so you know you know like so many terrible so many terrible marriages on film and that's so funny is like and i guess that's sort of one of the things i enjoy so much about as we talked about poltergeist yeah. is i love how awesome their marriage is and i don't understand why why to make it bad yeah because you want to pull for them together right you want to like root for them as a family and i think they think that they have to like the the what they're going through will make them united and if they they have if, if they're united at the end they can't be united at the beginning but yeah they can because yeah. like i think in poltergeist it does it really successfully and instead you just kind of watch some like improbable fighting that just seems goofy and yes um, makes you hate him and wish for his death and i was actually um i thought about poltergeist while watching this sequence because there, there's a, a sequence in the kitchen in the beginning where like things are like flying out of the cabinets yeah. and she's freaking out and i was kind of thinking like Poltergeist could have been this, mm-hmm. like with alternate casting. Yeah. And it was like, it, it's so shrill and like unpleasant. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that it's like they did the casting so well for Poltergeist. Yeah. It's like you care. And like Joe Beth Williams screams a lot. And like, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like she's ever like, I just felt like stop screaming, stop screaming. Yeah. Like it's so Veronica Cartwright just gets like so I know panicky and hysterical. I know. And I mean, she's good at it. You know, it's not like she, you know, she does, I mean, especially at the end of this movie, I mean, she does terror really well, you know, looking at probably nothing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it just seemed kind of, it seems kind of goofy and that you, the, you know, as, as the story goes on, like he has to set the rat traps and, you know, they don't seem to be catching anything. And then the cat disappears and then she finds bits of the cat under uh, the house. And then there's like disgusting stuff coming out from the, the sink. sink. Yeah. And it's like, 
horrible rat hair right. clog, which was hideous. Yeah, and then she calls in like an old timey inspec- uh, exterminator guy. He was cute. He's very cute. Um, who's uh, you know has books about rats from like mythology in his house. He um, takes his exterminating very seriously. Yeah, and and you know she goes up to the daughter's house and there's like claws on the door and and the you know the rat the giant rat has obviously gotten into her room. Um, and there's been a there's one uh, rat that they do capture upstairs and Veronica Cartwright makes him go upstairs and grab it and throw it in the garbage can downstairs. Um, that will come back later. Uh, and so it basically all kind of leads up to her, it, the, this old timey exterminator being like, what you got is a devil rodent. Is a, <laughs> That's really what it is. There's a German name for it that I can't pronounce, but they do call it the devil rodent. And he yeah. shows the like old-timey like carving wood carving that is in this book of sure his, which that shows, seems scary yeah the yeah. german devil rodent mm-hmm. of course yeah you're, um, not, you're not on board with that oh no no i mean i am the picture i was like can't wait to see the thing in the picture oh right i never saw it uh i see yeah uh so you know old-timey exterminator guy who's been kicked out uh by richard Mazer has is basically uh uh, called back to be like, you know, it it's more than you recognize. You need to get out and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, the rat shows up in the <laughs> the giant rat shows up in the daughter's bedroom. Um, and I don't even know what to say about this effect. I mean, it's I think it's like a little stuffed animal that they shot and then tried to superimpose in mm-hmm. her bedroom, but it looks like someone just is someone that's holding a rat doll sideways and then making it dance with their hands, and then like and then everyone's like looking terrified in a direction at a thing that isn't there. Right. It's horrible. It's yeah. really bad. If they it's have this really, shot, they really keep using bad. of like a profile version of a rat yes. with its mouth open that they like have this like it's roaring so loud that they have to cover their ears because it's such a loud but it's like a little stuffed animal mm-hmm. that they're like ah, you know and like, then it's like it breaks the daughter's bed and it's like crawling on the daughter's bed so there's this shot like it took me a while to figure out what the shot was of like the little girl in bed and then rat on the side but the rat's not really there oh definitely so not so it's just like not so it's like kind of a green screen thing that 100% doesn't work yeah. I think and the rat like the big bad and again you and I have sort of been used to sort of seeing these movies where it's like it's a guy in a rat suit right. or it's like a small person in some sort of rat suit or you have a real rat and you're kind of superimposing real rat footage none of these things have happened it's literally like I think someone went out to Goodwill and bought like you know a little rat toy I feel like maybe there was some larger effect here that just fell apart or they ran out of time or ran out of money or something but I feel so bad for these actors because like Veronica Cartwright is giving it her all yeah. and it's so goofy and then it becomes she was even, like I'm an alien you and know, now, I mean, now. I can do abject terror, I swear. Uh, and then it gets all the goofier because the stuffed rat starts to telepathically talk to the daughter. And the daughter's like, mommy, he wants his baby. And I'm like, what movie? What does he want? What is this now? And apparently the the rat that they caught up earlier and they threw in the trash can, like, she wants it back. And that's why he's tearing the house apart. And then it's like mommy monster and so Richard Mazur has to go out to the trash can and bring the rat back and lay the rat on the window and open the window and, and then she like picks it up and does the like scream of, of, of grief because she's got her dead baby in her rat hands rat mother grief yeah rat mother grief I mean why didn't they just do like a rodent of an unusual size kind of thing like if it was like that I size I loved it it was like where it's like a large dog and you're loved like okay it. this could eat a little girl yeah that would have been a better choice than yeah. like it's in it's like Godzilla sized <laughs> rat you know <laughs> but not but clearly a stuffed animal yeah. and then it's like all these like sound effects that are just not coming from this creature 
it's pretty bad. Like, all right. So, Night of the Rat. I mean, is it's maybe not, the sour note. Yeah. So it wants his baby. So they, you know, and then they have the whole thing where is Richard Richard Mazur going to shoot it? Because once it has his baby, he's like, I got a clean shot. I'm going to do it. And it's like, no, no, don't, don't. And then he like lets it go. And then he cries, and they're all crying together. And then little girl says, I wonder where it'll go next. Sequel. Please not. No. Please fix the rat. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so this not, movie, I think the the Terror in Topanga and Night of the Rat. Nah, not so much. But I think Bishop Battle and Benediction are both really fun and Are worthwhile. really solid, yeah. I mean, Tara Topengen I have no, like, problems with. It's just kind of like the standard, you yeah. know, story. Like, you know, the, the hook was still in the door handle. You know, like that story, which right. is fine. You know, it takes about ten minutes and you're in and out. Um the other two are great. I just do think, not, you know, not to not not really the actor's fault, but the the effects fail is pretty significant in Night of the Rat, and so I think I already to me the premise was a little goofy, yeah. But you know, the effect is just really awful, um, and so you're just it's just funny, and it's I don't think it's really meant to be funny, so. Sorry, movie. Well, it's an obscure one for a reason, but I think it is worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, if if only for some uh, cool early computer generated special effects yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. And to see a truck come from out of the ground because yeah. that's something that you'll Which never ever see again. I think again is also so striking. Like I, I think intentionally they stuck this one at the end because that effect of the truck is amazing. The Bishop Battle stuff for why what, not end it on a high note. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think like there's stick one this one in the middle one. and then get the like good stuff on the end. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of like that. It just seems it seems strange because it seems like the effects really do a good job in every other story except this one. You're like, what was happening there? I don't I have no idea. I don't know. Um, so Gore Factor. Yes. Uh, not enough blood to fill a Dixie cup is one. Two puddle of blood. Three enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four bathtub of blood, and five is run for the barf bag. Uh, and you and I gave this a zero because there is no not that it's like a bad thing. Uh, and I was thinking we mentioned uh, there actually is in the beginning uh, where the guy the cop gets stabbed in the very beginning. Well, okay. So I think we I maybe think it, it should have been a two, a one or a two, a one or a two. Okay, fair. But they, yeah. we gave it a zero. So oh, I, but it's wrong. But we probably forgot about that by the very end. Yeah, they were like, "Uh, night of the rat." Rats. Zero. Uh. <laughs> uh, movie rating: one to five chainsaws. One if you're desperate. Two bar- barely qualifies as a horror film. Three seen more, seen better. Four not too shabby. And five fantastical. Uh, I gave this a two. I gave this a one and a half. Oof. I think that is my lowest score on this podcast so far. Yeah. And it's really, I think, just because of the wild unevenness of this. Like, okay. I really enjoyed the Benediction. Um, Bishop of Battle has some really fun eighty stuff. Uh, Night of the Rat was just terrible. It's mm-hmm. just, it was, it's bad. It's just bad. And I feel like that's the first one in this horror anthology series where I'm like, this is genuinely not good. It is neither scary nor a particularly good concept. Right. Because uh, I would give it credit if it was like a great concept that they just couldn't realize because of you know just sort of limited by time or you know money or whatever. But this is just a fail. <laughs> right. It's just well, a fail. you have to remember this was originally uh, filmed for a television show. So I think the budget probably would have been lower than it would have been and for And maybe a that film. would have worked out for television? Yeah, well. I, I fa- maybe, maybe. But just the stunts are so good in The Benediction. Yeah. And Bishop of Battle is, like, pretty good, yeah. you know? So, All right. yeah. Well, Sorry, if you, if you want to be an anthology horror completist, yeah. you can add this to the list. No, definitely. And again, there's because there's, like, two of them are good, I definitely think it's, it's worth watching. And if you want to have a really good time... Check out some Night of the Rat, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so happy you could have uh, listened to our little uh, podcast about some horror anthologies. Yeah. This is the, the fourth in our little series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will be switching gears next week. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about Dario Argento's 
Suspiria. Suspiria, yeah. Just one of the ones that you mentioned yeah. in our uh, Minnesota. New Year's at Minnesota that you were the most excited about talking about really, this year. I am really excited about it. Yeah, this is one of those movies that sort of what we talked about uh, with The Exorcist, Rosemary's Babies, the ones that I find very disconcerting and it, it, it gets into me like a creepy horror movie jacket that I can't shake or take off and when the movie's over... I'm still thinking about it and the score for this. Oh, Goblin. Go to hell with that. It yeah. So well. good. All right. I hope you guys are ready for some crazy Italian filmmaking. Yeah. We will see you next week for Suspiria. Yeah. See you guys. Bye.